chapter number 42. Book of Job, chapter number 42. This will be a little different tonight than probably what I've been preaching, but I feel like this is what the Lord's laid upon my heart. I want to preach on tonight with the help of God from a trial to a blessing. Or from a trial to triumph. How that God can turn our trials around and turn it into a triumph. And he can do that, friend, and he has that ability. If I look over the audience tonight, I'm sure there's people that are going through trials and heartaches and, and various situations that I know anything, don't know anything about. But I'm glad the Lord is able to turn our trials into a triumph and make something out of us while he's got us in the trial. Now, in Job chapter number 42, we'll begin at the end of the book, and I'll work my way around a little bit tonight. But most of you are familiar. You're familiar with the book of Job. You remember how that he was God's trophy in that day. Uh, most of you could go back to chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you can, you can remember how that God said to Satan, God said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. And that's what God said about uh, Brother Job. God told the devil, There's none like him in all the earth. He's an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And you know what the devil's answer to God was? He said, God, you've got a hedge about Job, and I can't get to him. And I'm glad the Lord does have a hedge around every believer. And I believe that, friend. And uh, the devil said, now, God, if you'll let me at Job, if you'll let me have access to him, his family, his finances, then I'll get your trophy, the best you've got. I'll get him to curse you to your very face. And so, see, there was an argument going on in the heavenlies between God and the devil, and Brother Job knew nothing about it. Brother Job was just living for God day by day by day. But the Lord took the devil up, and God said, I'm going to let you have access to him. He said, I'm going to let you touch his finances. You can touch his family, but don't you lay a hand on him. And then there was a second time in chapter 2 that the devil appeared in the presence of God. And God said, hast thou considered my servant Job? And, and the devil said, yes, God, I have. And But still, he said, here's what the devil said. The devil said, skin for skin, God. He said, all that a man hath will he give for his own life. He said, now you let me touch his life. Let me touch him and afflict him and touch him personally. And I'll get him to curse you to your face. And you know the story, how that God allowed the devil access to touch Job. And Job woke up one morning. And he was covered, the Bible said, with sore balls from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. Job was one massive sore, if you can imagine that. I mean, when his three friends showed up to come to comfort him in chapter 2, they didn't even recognize Job. I mean, he was so disfigured and his body was so swollen and things, they didn't even recognize him. And the reason that God allowed this to happen to Job, it was for God's glory and to soundly defeat the devil. God wanted the devil to know, I've got a man that'll serve me, that'll live for me, no matter what goes on in his life, he will not curse me to my face. And you know, the devil thinks that about us, really. He's, he's not changed. He thinks we only live for God for what we can get out of God. I tell you, God's been good to every one of us, friend. And if God never blesses us again, I mean, he's still worthy of our praise and he's worthy of our faithfulness. He's worthy of our service because he is God. But now that brings us to chapter 42. We're covering a lot of ground here. But in chapter 42, after I've read where some men believe that Job's ordeal, the time frame lasted about a year, that Job went through this, and he comes to chapter 42 now, and the Bible said in verse number 10, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren, and all his sisters, and all they that had been his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with him in his house, and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And every man also gave him a piece of money, and everyone an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. 
for he had 14,000 sheep. That's twice as much as he had before. He had 6,000 camels. That's twice as much as he had before. A thousand yoke of oxen. That's twice as much as he had before. And a thousand she-asses. Twice as much as he had before. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now, if you know your Bible, you remember that in chapter number one, his seven sons and three daughters died there that day. You remember that? How many of you can remember that? You remember the story? Uh, there was a wind that came and blowed. They were at the eldest brother's house, and a great wind came, and that house caved in, and Job buried seven sons and three daughters that day. Now, somebody said, Preacher, here it is in chapter 42. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Someone asked me one time, they said, well, what did the Lord do? Did God resurrect his seven sons and three daughters that he had before? No, I don't believe that. That wouldn't be twice as much. You know what I believe? Miss Job is still around in chapter 42. And God bless Brother Job and Miss Job with seven more sons and three more daughters. He had seven sons and three daughters in paradise. And he had seven sons and three daughters on the top side of this earth. And I remember Brother Tom Hayes preaching one time. And he made mention, you remember in chapter 2, Job's wife stepped out and Job's wife said, Dost thou still regain thine integrity? She said, Why don't you curse God and die? And Brother Tom said she would have really told Job to curse God and die if she knew she was going to have to have 10 more children after she'd already had 10. I mean, this woman had 20 children. Are you listening to me? But God turned the captivity. God turned the trial, friend, and he turned it into a blessing. And I'm glad the Lord is able to do that. And I want us to just pinpoint three or four things tonight from out of the book of Job. And I want us to see how that God did this. Some things that God used in Job's life to help him make it through the trial. And these will be things that maybe you need tonight. Maybe you're going through the trial and through a heartache and through a time of disappointment. And you need to be reminded, I'm glad the Lord, as the choir was singing tonight, Jesus loves us and he cares for us. And, and so I want us to look tonight, take your Bible and let's go to the book of Job chapter 19. In Job chapter 19, very quickly tonight, Job chapter 19, look at verse number 23 with me. I want you to see the first, one of the first things that God used to help Job through this trial. In chapter 19, verse 23, Job said, Oh, that my words were now written. Job had no idea that it's going to be written. He said, oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. And boy, I'm glad God did. God put them in the book of all books, friend. Job is saying, I've got something I want to say. And he said, I wish somebody would write it down and print it in a book. And you say, Job, what is it? He said that they were graven with an iron pen and let in the rock forever. What is it, Job, that you want to say? He said, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. I want you to see the first thing that I believe helped Job make it through this trial. Job was conscious of the fact that God was alive in him. God was alive in Job's life. Now, in chapter 19, you'll find there's a lot of things Job didn't understand. Uh, so many things that was going on that he could not comprehend. Uh, but when it came here to verse number 25, he said, I want you to know this. He said, I wish somebody would write it down. I wish somebody would put it down and let it in rock uh, so somebody else can read it. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth uh, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon this earth. Uh, and I I'm glad tonight if you're saved by grace, you may be walking through the fire. You may be going through the severest storm that you've ever been in. I tell you what will help you make it is to know that the Lord lives in you. He is alive in the believer. And that's what helps us make it, friend. You think about the lost people out there that don't know the Lord Jesus and how they go through trials and heartaches and how they have to bury loved ones. And I don't see how they make it, friend. They have no hope. They don't know 
that the, they don't know the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior, but you and I that are saved by grace, that we can say with Job, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I've got to look at this. Job didn't say, I hope so, or I think so, or it may be so, but he said, I know. I'm glad. Now, if you're saved tonight, you ought to know that. And if you are saved, you do know it. A lot of things I don't know, but I know this. I know that I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, friend, and that I'm a child of God, and that He lives inside of me. Notice, let's break this down here. Job said, for I, that's personal, Thank God. Salvation's a personal thing, friend. I'm glad that when I got saved, God was dealing with me. God called me. And the Lord saved me. And He was working with me as an individual. And Job said, for I. That's personal. Then He said, for I know. That's positive. And the word know here, they tell me it means it means aware. And that I'm assured of. And it's a certainty. Job said, there's something right here, that's an absolute certainty. Job said, for I know, that's positive, but I know that my, they tell me that my is a personal pronoun, and that's profound, friend. Job said, I don't know about my wife's redeemer, I don't know about my children's redeemer, but he said, I want you to know something, Job said, I know that my. Thank God he's my redeemer tonight. Can you say that from the depths of your heart? Can you say with the psalmist David, when David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I am glad tonight that I know the Lord Jesus in a personal, personal way, friends. Now, a lot of people talk about the Lord, and they've got a head knowledge of the Lord and about the Lord, but I am glad that I met his acquaintance 22 years ago, and he is my Savior tonight. Job said, for I know that my Redeemer, and that's powerful. That's what we was talking about last night. We was using that word redeem, and redemption, and Redeemer. That Job's, Job's using that word. He said, I know that my Redeemer, the one that's able to pay the price, the one that's able to ransom me, and to bring me out of the slave market. Job said, I know him. Job had met the Lord, if you will. Job was a believer. He had been saved in the context, the way we look at it, he said, I know my Redeemer. Then he said, liveth. Not only is there something powerful there, the Redeemer, but there's something perpetual. He said, I know that he liveth. And that word liveth right there, they tell me it means fresh. And it means strong. And what Job is saying, he said, I may be deteriorating, and if you read the book of Job, you'll find the skin worms were working in his body. He was clothed in Job 7, 5 with the dust of the earth. And the worms were working in him where the flies had came and blowed upon his body. It's a very nauseating scene. But Job said, I want to tell you something. I know that my Redeemer, that He liveth. He's as fresh today. He is as real today. Job said, as he ever has been. Right in the midst of Job's trial, friend, he said, he's alive in me. And I'm glad about that tonight. Are you listening to me? Hey, I'm t- we talk. Sometimes we talk about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and like God's still back yonder and he's not here today. But the God that was fresh for Abraham, the God that was strong for Isaac is our Heavenly Father tonight and he ever liveth. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And he's just as fresh and he's just as strong as he ever has been. So no matter what you're going through, I mean, you may be going through that difficult time. I mean, that hard time. But you can take consolation in this. The Lord lives inside of you. 
And he's not going to forget where you're at. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you hopeless and helpless. He said, I'll never leave thee. I'll never forsake thee. But I'll go with thee always, even to the end of the world. And ladies and gentlemen, in your trial, and when you're going through the hard times, it's a blessed thought to know that the Lord lives in me. Amen. Now you say, preacher, a God so big that he... He spoke the universe into existence. Uh, I mean, listen, friend, everything that there is, uh, God made it and spoke it. Uh, and yet he's so big, uh, and yet he's so small, he lives inside of me. I like what Brother Joe Arthur says sometimes. Uh, you know, they'll get in these meetings and they'll say, stand up and wave at Jesus. Uh, Brother Joe said, I think I will. Uh, and he waves at his heart. Uh, he said, he lives in here. Now, not the muscle that pumps the blood. Uh, I'm telling you, the Lord lives uh, in the believer, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Boy, I tell you, that'll help you make it. Job said, I wish somebody would write this down. I've got something I want to say. Man, he was scraping those balls in that ash heap. And he was so afflicted and so broken. But he said, I want to tell you something. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that ought to be our testimony. And I know that, listen, I know you can get down. I know that you can get in a dark, deep valley of depression. I know that you can get so low sometimes that you wonder if God even knows where you're at. I'm telling you, friend, I was talking to a friend this week. I talked to one of the greatest men of God I know. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to call him by name. This man, I, somebody would know him. I called him and talked to him. He's going through the same thing uh, that I've been going through three years. They diagnosed him. And, and uh, he, he prays two to three hours a day. Uh, I mean, literally, he's one of the most praying men that I've ever met. Uh, two to three hours a day. Uh, I mean, I mean, re just re religiously reads that Bible. Uh, I mean, he's one of the best Bible students that I've ever met. Uh, been to college, has a couple of degrees. Uh, but now he's in a valley. And he called me and he said, he knows I've been there so he confines in me. And he said, Brother Buster, I can't hardly read my Bible. And he said, Preacher, I can't hardly pray. And he said, I just don't think and I said, God will, he'll bring you out. You may be in the clouds, and it may be so dark and so thick, but I said, just stay with God, and sooner or later, he'll bring you out. He'll bring you out. Now, some of you are looking at me and saying, you mean to tell me you can get so far down that you can't read your Bible? You mean to tell me you can get so far down that you can't pray? Hey, friend, you better wake up to reality. There's been several times when I couldn't pray. I mean, I just lay down and moan and cry and weep. And there's been times when I'd hold my Bible, read a verse or two, and just hold it and didn't know if I was going to be able to make it or not. I don't know if you've ever been that far down deep in a valley, friend, but I'm glad even in those dark hours I was reminded that the Lord still lives in me and He's alive in me. That'll help you. And it helped Brother Job to make it through his trial. Oh, he said, I know my Redeemer liveth. He didn't know a lot of things in chapter 19. You read it and you go home. His kinsfolk had forsook him. I mean, his own children and his maids and his servants. He didn't know why God had compassed him about with the net like a wild animal. He didn't know a whole lot of things. But he said, I know this much. I know my Redeemer liveth. Amen. How many of you know that tonight? He's your Redeemer. He's your Redeemer. I tell you, that's personal, friend. I'm glad, listen, I'm glad he loves you. I'm glad he loves the world, but I really get turned on when I get to thinking about it. He loves me. He loves me. Brother Sammy Allen, if he is here tonight, he'd be a preaching. He'd be all nervous and shaking that tie. And Brother Sammy go to quoting the Bible. That, and he'd say, for God so loved the world. But he gave his only begotten son. He'd shout over that. And then he'd say, uh, uh, not only that, he'd say Ephesians 5, that husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church. And then he'd shout about the Lord loving the church, loving the world and loving the church. But Brother Sammy always goes to Galatians 2.20. And he quotes that verse when Paul said that. 
there in Galatians 2.20. Uh, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ that liveth in me. Uh, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, Brother Sammy said, if that ever dawns on you, thank God he loved the world. Uh, thank God he loves the church. Uh, but he loves you. Uh, and buddy, you better say bye to Brother Sammy about then because he's gone around the church. Uh, I'm glad that the Lord is alive in every believer. He lives in us. And that'll help you make it through the trial, Mother. Some of you are looking at me and I can see it in your eyes. Some of you, you, this is your message. This is the one you needed tonight. That this is the one God wanted for you. And, and listen, if you're saved and born, the devil will come to you. He'll try to get you to doubt your salvation. He'll lie to you. He'll browbeat you. He'll do everything he knows to do. But if you know you're saved, the Lord lives inside you. Amen. I'm thankful. And you can know that. You say, can you really know it? Sure you can know it. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. I ain't a guessing, and I hope so, maybe so, maybe so. I don't always feel saved. I don't always act like I'm saved. But that doesn't change the fact that I am saved. Amen. So you see, Job was able to say he's alive. Take your Bible. Come with me to Job chapter 23. In Job chapter 23, in this chapter here, Job chapter 23, I want you to look here. Verse number 8. Job chapter 23, verse number 8. Now, you must understand, and I believe I remember preaching. Uh, I remember preaching to the senior saints a couple of years ago over here, and we had a luncheon, and I preached on soften to serve. And I preached from the book of Job that day to the senior saints. Any of y'all remember that? Anybody there? Y'all, some of y'all was there. And in, and you know, everybody, we forget now, everybody puts Job up on a pedestal and he needs to be put there. He did come through with flying colors. But brother Job never did curse God to his face, but brother Job did curse the day he was born. He did wish that God had let him die in his mother's womb. He wished that God would cut him off. Did you know that? Job, one place, said, I wish the Lord would just cut me off. In other words, let me die. Job was in such such excruciating pain, and, and his heart was so crushed that he said, God, I wish you'd just let me die. Have you ever been that far down? Have you? And this is God's trophy. So in Job chapter 23, let me just show you a few things right quick. Look at verse 1. Then Job answered and said, even today is my complaint bitter. You see, Job's got a little bitter now. He said that my stroke is heavier than my groaning. Job said, oh, that I knew where I might find him. Job wants to find God, ladies and gentlemen. And the reason is that I might come even to his seat. Now, Job, why do you want to find God? And why do you want to come to his seat? He said in verse 4, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Now, you read that in your King James Bible. Job wanted to argue with God. That's what that Bible says. He said in verse 5, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Job, in essence, Job is saying, if I could find God and if I could get to his seat, I'd straighten him out about this thing. God's been unfair. That's what Job is saying. He's been unfair, and I don't deserve this. And if I could find him, I'd fill my mouth with arguments. That's what he's saying, church. I ain't misconstruing the scripture. In verse number six, Job said, Will he plead against me with his great power? No. He said, If I could find him and argue with him, no, he wouldn't plead with me with his great power, but he would put strength in me. He said, there the righteous might dispute with him. You see, Job said, I, Job felt like he was so righteous. He felt like God was unjust in letting him go through what he was going through. And he said, it's there at God's seat. If I can get there, I can dispute with him. There the righteous might dispute with him. Now listen, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, none of us are righteous enough to argue with God. 
Not even Brother Job, as great a Christian as he was. And what he's going through, he's go it's a natural response uh, to the severity of his trial. I mean, he's married seven sons, three daughters. Uh, he's lost everything he has. Uh, his friends have turned on him, called him a hypocrite. Uh, and Job has got a little bit bitter. Uh, and he said, I'd like to find God and argue with him. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. None of us want to argue with God. Now, if you'd be honest, if you'd get honest tonight, some of us have asked the question, why God? Why, Lord? Why? Now, now we might not say that loud, but we probably said it in our hearts. Lord, I've tried to live for you and serve you. Why did you let me go through this? Why didn't you take my husband? Why didn't you take my wife? Why didn't you take my child? God, I deserve better than this. Why, God? Well, if the best God had acted like that, then there's some hope for me and you. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's a natural response to the severity of this trial. Job said in verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. He's trying to find God. He said, On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Job is accusing God right here of hiding himself because Job feels like he's so righteous that God doesn't want to come into a confrontation with Job. Now that, that's the context of this scripture. That's the proper exegesis. That's what they tell you in a Bible school, this passage of scripture. Some of you thought I just cussed, but I didn't. It's a proper interpretation. But look at verse 10. Job right here, and this is what I want you to see. This is what helps us. Job said, but he knoweth. He knoweth the way that I take. And when he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I want to say this. Number two, not only did Job know that God was alive in him, and even though Job in this trial said some things and wanted to argue with God and find God and try to straighten God out, that he said here in verse number, verse number 10, that he said, but he knoweth the way that I take. I want to say the second thing that will help you, that God can turn your trial into triumph and turn your tragedy into a blessing. God is aware of you. Not only is he alive in you, but he's aware of you. God knew right where Job was. God knew what was going on in Job's life. That God had allowed this for his glory and his honor, friend. Now, Job didn't understand. God didn't call Job in for a consultation and say, I'm going to let the devil have access to you. Get ready and buckle up for it. He never did tell Job that. But Job said here, Job said all. I can hear him in his heart. He said, but he knoweth, he knoweth the way that I take. I'm glad that God is aware of our situation. And this word knoweth, they tell me it means that he's observant, that he cares, that, that he's familiar with, that, that he understands. I like that word, friend. That Job used the right word and the Holy Ghost pinned it down right. That, hey, you may think your family doesn't care. That, you may think your spouse doesn't understand what you're going through. That, you may feel like your church doesn't understand. That, and a lot of times I'm sure the pastor feels like the church doesn't understand him. That, and sometimes we think nobody understands us. That, but I'm glad the Lord knows. That he knows. He cares. He's observant. That, he's familiar with it. That, and I tell you, he's aware of what we're going through, friends. And he made us a promise that he would not put more on us than we was able to bear. Some things, sometimes we feel like we're going to crush under it. Sometimes we think we're going to go under and can't get back up. But he made us a promise. He would not put more on us than we were able to bear. And I'm glad that he's aware. He's aware, Mom and Dad. He's aware, mother. He's aware, young man, young lady. Teenagers, he's aware. You say, Brother Buster, nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I, nobody knows my home situation, my school situation. I, I'm glad the Lord does. You hear me? I'm glad the Lord does. He is aware of every one of us. And what I like about our God Many names for God that's used in the Bible. One is Almighty God, and the word is that word El Shaddai. And uh, I, I was taught this, read it in a book, studied it. The word El means God, Shad means breast, 
And Chad, I mean many-breasted one. Now, there's nothing unclean about this, but the picture of our God is as a many-breasted God. There's nourishment. There's food. There's supplies. There's provision for every sheep, every one of them, all at the same time. I like that, friend. Thank God. Nobody, we can't overpressure our God. Nobody can strain God, friend. I mean, he's a... You may get to the point where you think nobody, you may think nobody can really understand what you're going through. But I'm glad the Lord can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, friend. That's right. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. I'm glad he's able to succor them. Hebrews 2 said that word succor means come to the aid of. Like a little baby calling for its mother. I'm glad he's able to succor us. To meet our need, friend. To meet our need. That's the kind of God we're serving tonight. Oh, he, see, Job said he's aware of me. Job said, I don't know. And he said, I want to find God. And Job, he said, I, 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 he's able to argue. But he said, oh, he knoweth. He knoweth. He knoweth the ways that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as Job. Two things that I see. Job's perception was restricted. Job couldn't find God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to where you didn't feel like you could find God on your radar screen? I mean, you know what I'm saying. You search high, you search low, you pray, you run to this meeting, that meeting, and you just seemingly could not find God. And you know the truth of the Scripture. You know that He's an ever-present God. He is an omniscient God, an omnipresent God, an omnipotent God. You know that He's ever near, but there's times sometimes when you feel like, I just can't find God. I just can't get a hold of him in my prayers. And I just can't sense his presence. Oh, I'm glad I stumbled on a verse one day that helped me. Solomon said, the Lord dwelleth in the thick darkness. Amen. It may get so thick one day that you feel like you can cut the darkness you're in. But the Lord dwelleth in the thick darkness. When you get in a dark valley like that, you just love to bump into the Lord, friend. He dwells in the thick darkness. See, Job's per perception was restricted. Well, I think about, listen to me, and I, I, I'm hasty, I want to hasten tonight. I've got the brothers to drive, so just let me preach till I get through, okay? I, I'm thinking about there in John chapter 11. And there's Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus is, is dying, dying. Their brother, and Jesus loves this family. And Mary and Martha send that company of men to go find the Lord. Tell the Lord, tell our beloved Lord that, that Lazarus is sick and, and surely he'll come. And Jesus sent a message back and said, this sickness is not unto death. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And they come running back, those messengers did. Mary and Martha, no doubt, was looking, looking out the window. Lazarus is worse. Lazarus' breathing is getting heavy. And he's dying. And they said, but where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? And they thought the Lord had missed it. And the Lord didn't come. The Lord came two days where he was. And when Jesus started down, Lazarus died. They said this sickness is not in the death, but for the glory of God. That's what Jesus said to Mary and Martha. And somebody screamed, Lazarus has died. He's dead. And Mary and Martha run in there. And there lays their brother dead. Graveyard dead. The devil says to them, God forgot you. Your Lord doesn't really love you. I'll tell you, Jesus knew right where they were, and he showed up right on time, friend. No, you say he showed up late, preacher. Lazarus been dead four days. No, you see, Jesus showed up to get maximum glory. And if all he'd have done was to have been to heal Lazarus, he'd have got some glory out of that. I promise you, he got more glory when he raised him from the dead, friend. And he knew about Mary and Martha's condition. And he cared for them. And I want you to know, he knows about your situation. Their Job's perception was restricted. And then there's a positive refinement right here. Job said, when he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know, that's what the Lord's doing in all of our lives. He's trying us. And I found these things out. You know, it's simple things about gold. 
Uh, they, they, you know, gold just they don't find it usually laying on top of the ground. Usually gold is embedded in some kind of ore, some kind of a, another material. And what that goldsmith will do, he'll take that ore that's got the gold in it, and he puts it into a smeltering pot, and he turns the heat up until he brings it to a melting point. He'll turn the heat up, and it'll bring that gold to a melting point, and the gold oozes out of the ore. It'll just ooze out the gold will. It falls down in the bottom of that crucible. You remember when God put the Holy Ghost conviction on you? <laughs> you remember when Holy Ghost conviction got on and you came to the melting point? And see, that gold come out of that natural environment that it was in. And it slipped out. And they tell me it'll fall to the bottom of the pot and it'll always run together. I mean, it'll just run together. Gold will just run together. Well, that's the church. That's cooperative body. If you see it coming together there. And then that goldsmith, he not only brings it to a melting point, but the second thing he does with that gold, he takes the ore out after the gold's come out, down in the bottom of that pot, he turns it up a little higher. He turns the heat up a little higher. You say, what's he going to do, preacher? He's going to bring it to a, a boiling point. And now, it's, there it is, it's gold, but he turns the heat up, and it begins to literally boil. And what happens, there's impurities, there's what they call slag that's in that gold. And it'll rise to the top of that thing, he'll skim it off with a little rake, and he'll skim it off, and he, he's what he's looking for. He keeps looking over into that pot, turns it up a little higher, rakes off the top of those impurities, that slag, and throws it in the slag pile. And when he looks over, and when he sees a reflection of his own, face, then he's got it to the pouring point. I mean, that's what he's looking for, that goldsmith. That's the only time they tell me they'll pour that gold. It's when that goldsmith can see a reflection of his own face, and they tell me that's the only time that gold will polish up and shine. It's after the impurities have been boiled out of it. You know what God's doing to us, don't you? I mean, he brought us years ago, some of us, to the melting point, and we got saved. And now he's got us in the boiling process, and he's getting those impurities out of us. And when God gets through with us, I'm telling you, he's going to see an image of his own son in us. He's predestined that we be conformed to the image of Christ, friends. Amen. You say, you don't look like much. You should have seen me when he found me. You should have seen me in that ore that I was in. You should have seen me in the natural condition I was in before I got saved. And man, you say, you don't look like much. You should have said, hey, he's been working on me 22 years. And hey, he ain't done with me yet. You wait till he gets finished with me, friend. Thank God I'm going to shine like gold. Amen. I'm going to be like unto his son. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, God is so satisfied with Jesus that He's determined to populate those that are saved by grace throughout the ceaseless ages. And He's going to conform us to His Son's image. And we're going to shine like gold when God gets through with us. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Some of us have, we know, and you know what they'll do every now and then? I got a wedding band here. Barb got me. And everything, and that thing, it's, it's done been, done been boiling. It's done melted point. It's done come to the boiling point. And, but every now and then it gets dull. And I'll take it over and they'll put it on that wheel. And he'll put that stuff on that thing and he goes, son, he'll polish that thing up and it'll look like brand new. That's what revival's all about. We get a little dull and a little tarnished, and God will bring the buff and the wheel of His Word. And I mean, the man of God gets to turn that thing. God lays us up against it. You think it's a hurting. You know, sometimes you can grab that ring when they get through, and it's hot as a firecracker, and you can hardly put it on your hand. But, buddy, it's a shine and a fresh and a new. Somebody said, why have revival? It's just temporary. Why have revival? Got to have another and another. It's just temporary. Somebody asked Billy Sunday that one time. Billy Sunday said, so's a bath. But he said, it does you good. Amen. 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 I'm telling you, God is aware of us, church. I'm talking about in your trial. He's alive in us. He's aware of us. Then look in Job chapter 9. I want to back up a chapter or two. And I'm hastening to a close. Job chapter 9, verse number 1. Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth. But how should man be just with God? He asked the question. And then in verse number 32, look at this. Job said, he's talking about God now. He said, for he is not a man as I am, 
that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. And Job said, neither is there any days man betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. You see, Job didn't realize it. What Job wanted, he wanted an advocate. He wanted, that's what the word days man means. The word days man means one to argue and one to judge and plead and reason. A, a go-between, an advocate. And Job said, I need somebody. I need somebody that can lay his hand on me. And I need somebody that can lay his hand on God. I need somebody to advocate for me. Well, Job didn't really realize it, but he had one. He did have one and he didn't realize it. But you know what I'm saying? You and I do have an advocate. Hallelujah. In the midst of our trials, testings, tribulations, and things we're going through, I'm glad we have an advocate living on the inside. That's the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm glad we've got an advocate that's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I'm telling you, Sometimes I don't know how to pray. And I'll get to praying. And the Holy Ghost interprets that. And he goes before the Lord Jesus, as it were, and said, now, Lord, he's saying this, but this is what he really needs. I'm glad he, hey, he maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot even be uttered. He knows, hey, the Holy Ghost knows how to take your, oh, and oh, God, and oh, and he knows how to interpret that. And tell God just exactly what you're saying and what you need. I'm glad I've got a days man. I've got a one that can lay his hand on me and lay his hand on God. And that's the Lord Jesus. And the person of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I tell you, I get that. That's exciting now. I've got one friend. You see, he's a legal representative. He's a legal representative. Who's acquainted with both parties? Job said, I need somebody. He said, God's not a man like I am. He said it, and that's what he's saying there. He's not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Job said, I, I can't talk to him like a man. He's God. But oh boy, I'm glad I've got one who is a legal representative that's acquainted with both parties. And you know what? He's the judge's son. Hallelujah. I don't mind going before the judge. Too bad if I know his son, friend. Amen. And not only do I know his son, I'm acquainted with his son. And better than that, I'm hid with Christ in God. Hey, the judge is my heavenly father. Glory. Got an advocate inside and got an advocate at the right hand of the father. Jesus Christ the righteous. My little children, these things are right unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate, a go-between, a day's man. One who can touch God and one who can touch us at the same time. Angels don't understand us. You hear me? Angels don't know what problems are. Angels ain't never had no problems. Ain't, you know what I'm saying? Ain't, man, man, angels don't understand the way we act sometimes. You know, I really, I believe they look at us and they shake their head and they just, they don't understand. But you know what? There's one at the right hand of the Father. When we come into heaven, pouring out our hearts, weeping our eyes out, broken hearts and tears are running down our face. I'm glad there's one at the right hand of the Father. said, Father, I know what they're going through. I, 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 know I was tempted in all points, like as they are, yet without sin. Thank God He intercedes for us. That'll help you in your trial, friend. That'll help you when you think nobody else understands. And who can I go to and who can I talk to? I'm glad there's one inside of us. And there's one at the right hand of the Father who is our advocate. He's our day's man. He's the one that Job wanted. I'm glad we've got him. Amen. Hallelujah. They used to sing that old song, The Comforter has come. The Comforter has come. I'm glad the Holy Spirit is that Comforter who lives on the inside. And I know some of you, you're going through some trials and heartaches. And in an audience this size, there's always that, that element of people. 
and, and you think, when am I going to get through this? When is the cloud ever going to lift? When am I going to again? But I'm glad there's one at the right hand of the Father. And by the way, that goldsmith knows just how much to turn that heat up. He never overheats that gold. He knows exactly how much to turn that temperature up. And the Lord knows what he's doing in my life. He knows. He knows. Now close. I'm closing now. Won't you go back to Job 19? We'll look back there one more time. Job chapter 19. Not only is he alive in us, not only is he aware of us, not only is he advocating for us, but thank God he can turn this trial into triumph because one of these days he's going to appear for us. Job said in Job 19, you've read this, you know this verse. Job said, for I, and I, you know, I was reading it a while ago. He said, I want somebody to write it down. I want somebody to put it in a lead, let it, write it to rock and let it seal it with lead. I want to tell somebody this. He said, I know my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And go after my skin worms, verse 26. Go after my skin worms, destroy this mighty. Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see. mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. You see, Job is looking at his own self. And he sees those maggots where the flies have come and blowed upon him. Those worms are working in his body and he's scraping them off. And Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth and he shall stand the latter day upon this earth. Did you know Job was a premillennialist before the word premillennial had been coined? I mean, Job believed that the Lord was going to stand one day upon this earth. And he said, and though after my skin worms destroy this body... You see, Job did not know how this trial was going to turn out. Job may have even thought he was going to die. He, had, he didn't know God was going to double everything he had. He didn't have that assurance and that answer. But he said, I'll tell you this one thing. He said, these skin worms may destroy this body of mine. He said, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. Job had this much sense. He said, I know one day I may have to die. This trial may kill me. But if it does, he's going to appear for me. He's coming back to get me. And he'll resurrect my body. And I'll see God in my flesh, whom mine eyes shall see and not another, though that my reins be consumed with it. Amen. Job said, Job, see, he doesn't know now. He, doesn't, he hasn't read the book like we've read it. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. And I'll tell you what he said. He said, I know this much. He said, this trial ain't going to beat me. This trial ain't going to beat me. It may put me in the ground, and the skin worms may destroy my body, but he said, I'm going to beat this trial, because one of these days the Lord's going to appear for me and resurrect me if I die. Uh, we're going to win one way or another, you hear me? Amen. We're going to win one way or another. I've told this here before, and you've heard me tell it. My dad preached 19 years. I mean, preached on the second coming about every message he ever preached. He was a white horse preacher back there 40 years ago when white horse preaching wasn't popular. He was a premillennial, pre-tribulational believer. Had a white horse on the pulpit, a white horse on the mailbox, and they called him the white horse preacher. They thought he was crazy. Some, some of those post-millennialists and all-millennialists. You say, what's an all-millennialist? My daddy said, ah, Moulin, this was one going to be standing on the rapture takes place saying, ah, as the saints said, out of here. But I'm going to tell you what he did. He come down, he was dying with cancer, 45 years old, big man, picture of health. Cancer ate away at his body, and they'd operate, thought they got it all. Three months later, they opened him up and stapled him together, and they said he has a few short hours to live. Now I went in there and was with my daddy, and he said, son, I told you. He said, I've told you, if I die, he said, I'm still believing the Lord's coming. But if I die, he said, you have that mortician. 
When he embalms me, you have him to put my index finger on Job 19.25. He said, you lay my Schofield Bible, lay my King James Bible on my belly. Have that mortician to put his finger, my finger on Job 19.25. Bury that Bible with me. Put it in the coffin. Put it in the ground with me. He said, I said, Daddy, he said, I want every skin worm. He said, I want whatever comes walking out of this carcass to go walking across the pages of God. God's word, and the one day I might have died, but I am going to come out of this graveyard one day. And son, I want you to know something. This trial is not going to beat us. Hey, we may have to go by the way of the grave before the Lord comes, but I've got good news, son. He's coming, and he's going to resurrect the dead. Hey, man, and he's going to rapture out the living, and we're going to beat this thing before it's set that mortician, I told him that, and he looked like he'd seen a ghost. He said, do, 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 do what? I said, I want my daddy. And the daddy died, and I went, to the, went down. I, he, I said, do what? He said, do what? I said, put the Bible. The Bible, he says, put the Bible on his chest, put his finger on that verse right there. And he said, what in the world for? I wasn't even saved. And I told him what my daddy said. He said, man, we've done a lot of things with a lot of people. But he said, I've never seen anybody do this. And daddy wanted everybody that walked by and viewed his body. And he said, I want every skin worm, anything that crawls out of this carcass. And as far as I know, his old flesh has disintegrated. He's been dead 22 years. Dad's skeleton's probably laying there in that coffin. And that old King James Bible, unless everything's faded away, still laying there. But one of these days, one of these mornings, he's coming out of that grave and your loved ones, your family members that you buried and that you planted that were saved by grace, you've not seen the last of them. There's coming a reunion day, friend. And Job said, I know this much. I know that my Redeemer liveth and he shall appear. He's coming to appear for me. He's coming to get me one day. I don't care how bad the trial is. I don't care how hard it is. You hang on to these truths. He's alive in me. He's aware of me. He's advocating for me. And blessed be the good Lord, He's going to appear for me. He's coming back to get us. Yeah. They, they see us come to this meeting, you know, and they scoff and they mock. And they say, there they go, there they go, them Bible thumpers, there, there they go, that King James Bible crowd over there at Yacht Street, there they go, them soul winners and Sunday school teachers, on, there they go, there they go, there they go. Well, when the Lord comes and gets us, they're going to say, there they go, there they, and we're going, friend. Huh, son, I'm telling you, we're going to leave out of here. One old brother said, we're going to leave out of here like Superman and come back like a lone ranger, friend. Amen. Riding a white horse. I'm telling you, the Lord is soon coming to you. So you, you, you stay with the Lord. And in the midst of your trials, you remember he's alive in you. You remember that he's aware of your situation and he's advocating for you. And that he's going to appear and come to us before you. Let's bow our heads and through preaching. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. My, you've been such a wonderful audience. Oh.